What's up you hip cats and groovy chicks? Welcome once again to another episode of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast, episode number 27. This week we take you on a journey through time and space as one of our loyal hi-hatters pleads a case all the way from Australia. It's a submission that takes us back to the 1950s, delivering a healthy slice of American pie served with a sizable dollop of adolescent rite of passage. Yes, Get the Thunderbirds revved up, get your hair slicked back, and bung on some BB King, because this week's film up for consideration into the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame is none other than Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. Based on Stephen King's novella The Body, it's a film that manages to capture the feel of what it was to be a boy growing up in small-town America in the 1950s. It's a film that has an impressive 91% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes and is currently ranked at number 180 on the IMDb's top 250 films of all time. Impressive accolades indeed, but does it make it worthy of a place in the most sacred and exclusive of cinema lists, a spot in the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame? We will find out shortly, but first, here's a snippet from the film. In all our lives, there's a fall from innocence, a time after which we are never the same. It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time ago. Oh, man, where do you hear this? Where do you hear this? What is it, man? You guys want to go see a dead body? When the night has come and the land is dark. We interrupt to bring you an update on the search for the missing 12-year-old Ray Brower. Kid's gone. They're never going to find him. Not where they're looking. And the moon is the only... We'll see. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. We're gonna be famous. We're gonna be on every radio and TV show in the country. I still don't think we should go. one food for the rest of my life that's easy pass cherry flavor pass no question about it i like to go someplace where nobody knows me we found him we got dibs we better start running eyeball they got dibs the four of us eyeball we just make you move you're dead for some it's the last real taste of innocence. I'm never going to get out of this town now, my glory. You can do anything you want, man. And the first real taste of life. This is really a good time. The most a blast. But for everyone, it's the time that memories are made of. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand. Well, we have a very international feel to the show. Certainly sign that we are finally after 26 or so episodes finally hitting the big time as we not only have an American guest but recording all the way from that lawless island known as Australia. <laughs> I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Nikki Souza. Hi, welcome to the show Nikki. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we managed to finally work it out because of the time difference. I understand you're about three days in the future so I'm glad. Yeah, we could... something like that. <laughs> I'm glad we could finally work it out. So you are submitting a case today for the 1986 coming-of-age classic, Stand By Me. Yes. Great. And uh, can't wait to get to talk about this film. First of all, I want to say thank you, because I haven't watched this film in about five or six years, and I watched it last night, and uh, just so many happy memories came back to me. So thank you for that. 
It's incredible. <laughs> well, we'll get to that, or maybe not, because as you know, before we can get on to talking about the movie, there's a couple of tests I need to send your way to test your credentials. We're going to start with some quick-fire questions first, just to get an idea of your movie preferences. Does that sound okay? Okay. So, going to throw some uh, quick questions at you, just answer as quickly as you can. Deal. Right. First up, superhero movies or musicals? Musicals. Going to the movies or watching a movie on DVD? Watching a movie on DVD. Katniss Everdeen or Bella Swan? Katniss Everdeen. Fair enough. Toy Story <laughs> 1, 2, or 3? Three. 3. Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson? Willis. Clueless or Mean Girls? Clueless. Ooh. I regret that immediately. Mean <laughs> Girls. Oh, well. Don't know if I can accept it. Titanic or The Notebook? <laughs> Titanic. Steven Spielberg or Christopher Nolan? Spielberg. And because you're in Australia, obviously, you know the national hero, Crocodile Dundee. So, Crocodile Dundee, one, two, or three? One. <laughs> All right. Uh, and finally, if you could eat only one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. You yes. <laughs> because pizza can be plain and just cheese, or you can throw whatever kind of topping on it you want. So, it's a you know, multi-use food. It's a great answer, the fact that you didn't see it say cherry flavored Pez kind of puts you in bad standing for Stand By Me, unfortunately. Oh, well, if it makes it any better, my AAM screen name for several years was Cherry Pez XX. <laughs> that does actually so. help quite a lot. All right, we can continue on. <laughs> well, you saved yourself there, Nikki. You saved yourself oh, thank there. Goodness. Okay, so next up, before we launch into Stand By Me, I want to debut a brand new game that we have here on on uh, the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. It's a game that I put out on Facebook and uh, tried to get people to name for it. Um, basically what we're doing is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the website Rotten Tomatoes, Nikki. Yes, I'm familiar. Right. So you'll know that that is like, they, they take a they take a polling basically of uh, popular film critic reviews and they make a percentage for a, a given film on based on whether it received a positive review or a negative review. So I think if they received a, if it receives over a 60% rating, it gets a fresh, and if it's under 60%, it gets a rotten. So basically we're trying to launch a game that is kind of like a high or low. So I'm going to give you a movie from a particular category, and then you have to say whether you think it scored higher or lower on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Great. So after putting this out to Facebook, I had a couple of suggestions on names. Um, I did uh, did eventually stick for one uh, attack of the rotten tomatoes or tomatoes, depending on what side of the Atlantic you are uh, <laughs> listening to this show on. So I'm going to give you three choices of categories, Nikki, uh, to choose Great. from, um, and you're going to get ten ten questions on this, and you'll get scored out of ten, and we'll we'll put you on a leaderboard going forward. So you're going to be top and bottom of the leaderboard after today. Well, great. <laughs> So your choices of categories are Disney movies of the 1980s and 1990s. Mm-hmm. You can have Leonardo DiCaprio movies. Or okay. you can have movies featuring talking animals. Ooh. A lot of really good choices. Um, let's go with Leonardo DiCaprio movies. All right. Sounds good. So these are movies starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, we're going to start off with one of his earlier roles uh, in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that that scored an 89% overall on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. So 
for the next film, you're going to have to tell me whether you think it got a higher or lower percentage. And the next film is one of his more recent films, and that would be The Wolf of Wall Street. So you think that scored higher or lower than 89% on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to say lower. All right. And you are correct, 77%, which I actually thought, I thought it'd be higher. It was such a big hit, but... Um, yeah, it was a big hit, but I don't think it was as, um, I don't know, intriguing as What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Well, you were quite right to guess 77%, <laughs> so well done. So, one out of one so far. Your next movie is Blood Diamond. Higher or lower than Wolf of Wall Street at 77%. Mm. Lower. Lower. You are correct again. 62% it scored. I'm killing it. Yes, you are crushing it so far. <laughs> All right, so now, based on Blood Diamond at 62%, can you tell me whether you think the Clint Eastwood-directed biopic J. Edgar scored higher or lower than 62%? Lower. Lower. Correct again, 43%. Wow. You're on a roll, three out of three. All right, yes. the next one is going back a little bit to one of his more earlier roles, based on the novel by Alex Garland. It's The Beach. Did that score higher or lower than 43%? Lower. You see, I would have thought that would have stumped you. Uh, at 19%, a very surprising 19%, uh, the beach came in lower than J. Edgar. So, yeah. well done to you. All right, moving on. Your next one is the weird western, which I really like, but I think a lot of people don't, The Quick and the Dead. And that's lower or higher than 19%? Yeah. I'm going to say higher. At 55%, The Quick and the Dead is higher. Hell yeah. You're on, you're on track for a clean sweep, so hopefully a couple of them catch you out. No Let's pressure. <laughs> no pressure. All right, so your next one is The Man in the Iron Mask, the movie that came after Titanic. Higher. Higher than 55%? Yes. The Man in the Iron Mask came in at... 33%, I'm afraid oh, to say. Oh, you were doing so I, well. I knew I was wrong because that, that silence was deafening. Oh, uh, yeah. It was a pregnant pause. Absolutely. All right. So you're doing all right for now. A few more left. The next one up is Body of Lies, which I believe is a Ridley Scott directed, starring Russell Crowe, uh, espionage thriller of some kind. I don't really remember it either. <laughs> and is that meant to be higher or lower than what percent? 33% of The Man in the Iron oh. Mask. Ooh, I'm going to say higher. At 54%, it was higher. Good job. Yes. All right, next one might be a slightly easy one. Do you think that the movie, I don't know if you've heard of it, Titanic is oh. higher or lower than Body of Lies at 54%? Titanic, are you sure you're pronouncing that correctly? Titanic, <laughs> Titanic, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Titanic, uh, I'm going to say higher. 88%, Titanic came in at higher. Good job. Yes. All right, you got two left. Your next one okay. is a big, big hit, very, very popular movie, Inception, directed by Chris Nolan. Is that higher or lower than Titanic? I think it's lower. By 2%, Inception was lower Ooh. than Titanic. Good job. And so your final... You just did the Ryan Seacrest thing where you do that really long pause. <laughs> he is um, my idol. I, I do one day dream <laughs> is he, of being... Is he your American idol? He's my American idol and my international idol. I just love everything he does. Yeah. I, I've said too much. Um, <laughs> and so your final one, 
to round yourself off, if you can get yourself a 9 out of 10, uh, is Catch Me If You Can. And the score to beat is 86%. Do you think it scored higher or lower? I think lower. Oh god, I'm wrong. <laughs> Catch Me If You Can came in at 96% fresh, oh, making it higher than Inception and indeed his highest rating film on this list, certainly. I didn't have time to go through all of them because, you know. Fair. But... It's the highest one on the list. Catch me if you can. Ninety six percent. You know, when you have the the power of uh, Steven Spielberg behind you, I guess you can achieve anything. I guess so. So you finish off attack the very first attack of the Rotten Tomatoes with a very very impressive eight out of ten. So congratulations. I feel good about it. I feel good about that. I feel great about it because honestly, if you'd scored ten out of ten, we might have just had to you know jack in the whole. The whole concept right now, because no one, <laughs> you got to give future people something to beat. So I think eight out of ten is a very respectable score. So congratulations to you. Thank you very much. And I think that proves, without a shadow of the doubt, that you are worthy to submit your film <laughs> for consideration into the High Hat Hall of Fame. Uh, Good. I'm very excited to be considered legitimate. You certainly are legitimate. Probably the most legitimate guest we've had on the show. So. <laughs> Stand By Me, 1986, directed by Rob Reiner, starring Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Fieldman, Jerry O'Connell, Kiefer Sutherland, regarded by a lot of people as kind of the measuring stick for coming of age, uh, the coming of age genre. Can you start us off, first of all, Nikki, by summarizing the plot for us? Yeah, definitely. So it's about four boys who um, go on an adventure to find a dead body of someone who lives in their town who they think was hit by a train and that's just, I mean that's the basic plot of it and the way that they find out about it is that one of the characters is digging underneath his porch for pennies and his older brother who's a bit of a thug saw the body out there after he had stolen a car to get out there so yeah the kid and his three friends just decide to walk the several miles there and you know it takes them a couple of days to do it and lots of things ensue <laughs> um, that was an almost flawless relaying of the plot. I do have to pull you up on one point. When you said that his brother was a bit of a thug, I have to correct you. Your brother is the epitome of what a thug was in that time period. If you could draw any sort of caricature, it's these guys scratching tattoos into their arm with their greased back hair, driving their Thunderbirds down the street, smashing up mailboxes. They are the thug, not just a bit of a thug. But apart from that, a flawless um, really is the plot. Um, See, I would say that his brother is a bit of a thug because Ace is the, you know, the HBIC. Yeah, you're, you're true. Ed. That's true. Keeper Sutherland's Ace is the thug and he is the thug's henchman. So yeah, fair, fair point, fair point. Nikki, why do you love this movie so much? It's, it's very hard to summarize with words. Um, the first time that I saw it, I just instinctively, immediately fell in love with it and that was I was in the eighth grade so I was fairly close to the age that the boys are meant to be although I never went on an adventure to find a dead body I think it was just a really really good timing as far as when to watch the film and then I watched it every single night four or five hundred times I know every single word to the movie I 
can point out like you know fun facts about pretty much every single scene there's just something about it that just feels good like you were saying that you watched it for the first time in years and it just brought back a lot of really happy memories i think it does that for for everybody and and why do you think that is what 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 is this this characteristic to it? Because I, I struggle to put my, my finger on it, but maybe you, having seen it so many times, can offer some insight. I think it's possibly the fact that, in a way, everyone can relate to it, um, particularly the line, I never had any friends later on in life like I had when I was 12, Jesus does anybody. Mm. I think that that's a very relatable line because, you know, the friendships that you have when you're in elementary school or... Um, you know, middle school even, and you're kind of forced to be with the same people day in and day out, you do get really quite close to them. And as you get older, you you drift apart and you don't, you know, see each other as often. And I think that that's just such a important time in everybody's life. And the mm. friends that you make in that time really influence, like, I don't know, the path that you take, mm. I suppose. And this movie is very much about that. There's a line a little bit before the one that you just quoted where, like, when he's, when Gordy's relating, like, his relationship with Teddy and Vern and he refers to them as, they just became faces I passed in the hallway or something like that. Yeah. Friends walk in and out of your life like busboys at a restaurant. Yeah. I, I mean, there's just something, like, I, I think that's very relatable. There's something, like, yeah. heartbreakingly true about that line, which, you know... It is they they just kind of dip in and out of your life and it's tragic in a way but it's it's also just part of life I suppose. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's also so great because at at the end of the film it's revealed that one of the characters has has died, and it just he says that you know even though I hadn't spoken to him in twenty years I know that I'll remember him forever and it's just you know people that you were really close to when you were growing up even if you haven't spoken to them in in years, you know, you think about them and you wonder how they're doing. And it's a lot easier now with, with Facebook and Skype and things like that. It's a lot easier to stay in, in contact with people. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, in the 80s and certainly when the film, you know, was set, it was much more difficult. So I think we're, we're quite spoiled in that, in that aspect. We don't really have to deal with drifting apart as easily. Mm. Everyone's just a click away. <laughs> That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I, lo I love the part, like, right at the end as the credits are rolling and he's finished the, the story and you see him, you get a snapshot out of the window and you just sort of see him running out with his, his son and his friend and they're all, and, he, and then he sort of starts roughhousing with them and it's like he's kind of reverted back to his childhood. I, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely moment. Mm -hmm. So the coming-of-age genre is... You know, a, a fairly popular one, and it's done in lots of different ways. And recent, just this year, we've had the film Boyhood, which kind of followed one young man's advantage. You know, dipped into his life every every year for twelve years or so, and uh, we had Perks of Being a Wallflower as well. Yeah. In my mind, this is like this is kind of the the film you think of for coming of age genre. And so, what sets it apart from the other films? Well. Besides the fact that none of the other films focus on people going to find a dead person, um, as you're watching the film, in the beginning they are all very much, I mean, they're all very childlike, even though, you know, when you first meet them all, they're smoking cigarettes and playing poker. Mm. Um, <laughs> they're, still, they're still very much children, and in the course of just two days, they 
you know, they, they have a near-death experience by almost being hit by a train. They get covered in leeches and have to, you know, deal with one of their friends fainting. Um, they have to deal with um, Corey Feldman's character's emotional problems relating to the abuse that he suffers from his father. Mm. Um, Gordy pulls a gun on someone because Ace is just straight up going to stab um, Chris. He's a wrong. So Gordy pulls a gun on and like threatens another man's life mm-hmm. for the first time. And it's just, that doesn't happen in other movies. Like, and, and it's crazy as well that they do so much growing in the course of like 36 hours. Yeah. Or it's, it's just incredible. It's such a good film. Over the course of, you know, two days for them and over the course of 90 minutes. And it's just, you know, remarkable when you get, it seems like every film these days is going in at two hours, two and a half hours, three hour mm. length. And this this film just manages to get get everything in there. Everything in yeah. there. And it's such a concise way of doing it. But it shows that, like, you don't have to have, you know, be there for hours and hours on end to make this kind of emotional connection. I mean, you've managed to make an emotional connection that's carried you from the eighth grade to today, which is... Mm. And I think, you know, I think yours is a common story that I think a lot of people that have seen the film would... Uh, would share yeah so how important is the casting to this film's success i think i think it's absolutely crucial um i've i was reading because recently um in 2011 they had their 25 year anniversary of the film Mm -hmm. and will we wrote a really intriguing blog piece about it and in it he said that he thinks that a big part of the success stems from the fact that the four actors who were cast were very, very similar to the characters that they played. Mm. And um, that as, as time goes on, they actually grew up to be the characters that they portrayed in, in kind of other aspects. So like Will Wheaton grew up to be a writer, which is what his character Gordy did. Um, Corey Feldman grows up, grew up to be a drug addict and struggle a lot with those kind of inner demons, which is what his character did. Jerry O'Connell grew up to be fairly successful, which is, you know, <laughs> what his character did. And then River Phoenix's character dies, you know, at a much too young age, which is exactly what happened to River Phoenix. Yeah. So it's it's crazy that they were they were so similar at that age and then they as life went on just kind of almost stayed a little part of them stayed in the characters that they were cast in. And then I was also reading that um Kiefer Sutherland used to just like be really mean to all four of the boys in his off time as well, just to kind of keep that, keep them afraid of him, which I think was, is pretty funny. I'd like to think that he still calls them up every now and again and just yells <laughs> abuse at them down the telephone because he is such a bastard in this film. That's the dream. <laughs> I'd like to believe that. So I will believe that. That is what I am yes. now believing happens. And I'm sure yeah. it does in every, every now and again. I think that's a fantastic point that you've made, and it's something I hadn't thought about in life imitating art in such a spooky way. And Yeah. I mean, it, the chemistry between the four of them is just incredible. I mean, they fight, they bicker, they banter, they insult each other, but there's just, like, there's a genuine affection between them all as well, and it's great, even though, you know, they basically, you know, Vern is basically their doormat who they walk all <laughs> over. They, you know... They would, they'd fight to the death for him as well, just as much, I feel like. And it's, yeah, it's just a, a really special 
a special chemistry that you get that I don't think occurs very much in these films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also love... I, I think Corey Fieldman is absolutely terrific in this. There's one point where he straight face just goes, Gordy, go get the provisions, you morphodite. And I just... Like, yeah. <laughs> where are they getting words like morphodite from? But it's... Some, of, some of the lines in this film are just, are just so good. Mm-hmm. Like, when they... Um, when they go, I don't shut up, I grow up. And when I look at you, I throw up. Yeah. And then Gordy goes, and then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. <laughs> That's just so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something actually, um, me and one of my friends who used to work at, at um, camp, whenever the kids would tell us to sh- shut up, we would say that to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and how did they respond? They they were disinterested by the time we finished. Uh, well, I suppose that's a, a behavior management technique in itself. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you have these this terrific chemistry between the four, and you get like a a glimpse into Gordy's home life, but that's the only one you do. Yet for all of them, th- despite the fact you get so little screen time, it, it's clearly showing that they're going through some very grown up issues, and it's kind of just yeah. interwoven into their interactions. You know you. You have the grief, um, and you know the with Gordy, his parents are basically haunted by their dead brother, and you know there's that recurring line: "It should have, it should have been me, it should have been me." And but then you've got kids that are being abused, being neglected. There's you know a bullying from parents and from siblings, and it, and it's just all so expertly just stitched in there. You know, there's no you don't need to take a time out to like see what life is like at home for for Corey Feldman's character. You just, you, you know what is going on. Yeah, they, they work it in really well. Like, even, even to when, like, you have that scene where they're, they're telling the story of the, the kid at the, the pie-eating contest, and... Oh, yeah. And Teddy's just very unsatisfied by the ending. It's just like, that's not an ending, you can't do that. Why can't he go home and shoot his dad? And you're just like, God, it's just the daddy <laughs> issues with this guy. It's just, he must yeah. be a complete piece of work. Yeah, that that I love that scene. <laughs> Such a good scene. All right. Well, I think it's. I I think you can tell I'm pretty much on your side in terms of this movie. I mean, I I, I don't. It's, it's hard not to be. I think it's it's very difficult to find people who who adamantly would dislike this film. Yeah. Although I would be interested to hear from these people. So perhaps if anyone's listening, they can get in touch and we can maybe arrange some sort of counter argument of why it shouldn't be included. So. Everyone knows where we're going, but I want to give you just one last opportunity. You've spoken very much about, you know, the casting and the chemistry and uh, how this connected with you as a uh, growing up in the eighth grade. And why why does this film deserve to go into the Hall of Fame? Um, it's like you said, it's it's one of the quintessential coming of age films, and I think that the fact that just about everyone can easily watch it and find something relatable in it mm-hmm. makes it a film that is, you know, definitely worthy. Because everyone, you know, everyone can relate. Everyone loves it. And it's wonderful. If I was to allow this movie into the Hall of Fame, do you think I should put a future ban on any other coming-of-age movies being even considered to be put into the Hall of Fame? No, I think I think it's okay for others to be considered, but their cases would have to be stronger than mine. Oh, they would? Okay. That's what I think. 
I mean, I I feel like I've helped you like make a lot of points as well, <laughs> just because I love the film so much. So it's been kind of a a double submission here. I mean, I just yeah, I love I love all of it. I love like the attention to detail. They have like their treehouse is awesome. They have a secret knock to it, and just yeah, uh, yeah, just everything about it. So yeah. and there's uh, a lot of really good behind the scenes kind of kind of stuff that that is it's just a very authentic performance is like the actors all performed very authentically um like in the scene when they're running from the train they they did the scene you know 10 11 times and rob reiner wasn't getting the reactions that he wanted to so he just went up to them and started screaming at them and so they started crying and then he was like okay roll camera that's awesome <laughs> and, and I, that's when you see them running and crying that's great because I, I was watching that film last night and regular listeners to the show will know that I'm not a massive fan of the over-reliance cinema has in CGI and I was watching this scene um last night when they were running across the train and it was like right I know that they're not about to get run over by a train but it's like and you know you use the the effects of like a the back screen makes it look as if the train's running them over or whatever but like to me it you're it's so much more willing to suspend disbelief when you when you when the answer to the question is oh well they've just done that using computers and and that that was just another part of it that this just this nostalgia that they really don't make them like this anymore um, yeah which you know I, I I just really really enjoyed so yeah definitely it's just such a good film god damn it is <laughs> it's all right just wonderful well, <laughs> well, well let's not prolong the inevitable anymore stand by me it's into the high hat hall of fame congratulations yes. It is a victory for you. It is a victory to Rob Reiner. It is a victory. It's a victory to the world. It's a victory to anybody that's ever grown up and had friends. <laughs> so, congratulations to all of us for that. Yes, well done, everyone. <laughs> uh, and well done to you, Nikki. Thank you very much for um, putting this time difference ahead. Saying as you're three days in the future, do you have any advice for us uh, here living in the past? Is there anything we should be watching out for over the next couple of days? Um. Nothing in particular, just, just you know, be good to one another. I'm in Australia, so everything is covered in spiders. Yeah. But um, that doesn't really affect you guys over there. You don't have to deal with spiders the size of your head. That's true. Just, like, living in your closet. Yeah. Uh, no, just, just be good to one another, and it should be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, for goodness sake, you be careful, because uh, from what I know about <laughs> Australia, having never been there, is everything there is designed to kill you. So It be- is. That is exactly accurate. Well, yes, be careful. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yes, it's congratulations. Stand by me goes alongside the Big Lebowski, Kill List, Princess Mononoke, Fight Club, and Theater of Blood. So congratulations. Stand by me makes a worthy addition into the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Gordy, go get the provisions, you morphodite. Don't call me any of your mother's pet names. <laughs> what a wet end you are, Lachance. Shut up. I don't shut up. Shut up. I, I grow, grow up. up. And, and when, when I look at you, I throw up. And then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. Oh! The Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. And I'm sick of the Hi-Hat! Well, that's it for another week here on the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. A massive thanks and congratulations to Nikki on her successful submission of Stand By Me. I had an absolute blast re-watching that film and gaining some more insight from 
someone who clearly loves the film a whole heck of a lot. If you would like to submit a film for consideration to the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame, as well as take a round of quick-fire questions and try your luck at Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes, then drop me an email at hihatfilmreview at gmail.com and I'll get back to you to arrange a recording session. You can also join in the fun on facebook.com forward slash hihatfilmreview. As well as that, a bunch of our old episodes are available now on iTunes to download and subscribe. And if you can leave us a quick rating review, take 20 seconds out of your day, it will help me a massive deal. But if you want to delve further into our back catalogue, then you can find all the previous episodes, all previous 26 episodes of the Hi-Hat Film Review on hihatfilmreview.tumblr.com, along with a whole host of written reviews. And finally, you can check out some of my written reviews of some new releases on a weekly basis on the Telstar Film Review. That's at telstar-film.com. Well, that's it for this week. I'll leave you with the immortal final words of the T-800. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. Goodbye. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.